the start, and Matthew Klippenstein are back again for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, Clean Technica's weekly podcast about the hottest news and most interesting stories in the clean tech field, focused especially on electric vehicles and solar energy. Check in weekly via cleantechnica.com, SoundCloud, or iTunes to get your electric fix. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 38 of Clean Tech Talk. I'm Matthew Klippenstein here with Nicholas Zart. As a quick reminder, show notes are available at cleantechnica.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a review on iTunes to make it easier for others to find us. How go things this week, Nicholas? Well, hey, hi, everyone. As you can uh, hear, our, our voices are much better. We can actually speak. And uh, right now, we're enduring about 100 Fahrenheit in Southern California. It is a heat wave like I haven't seen. Well, like I've never seen, really. Normally, by now, we start to wear a turtlenecks, or at least I do. Crazy stuff. So that's about 38 Celsius, I think. Kind of an insane heat wave. It is. It is. I think, I think we're getting close to the 40 degrees, and it's, uh, it, it's really a lot, actually, because we went through a nice cooling-off uh, period, which is wonderful, you know, Indian summer and everything. And bam, we're right in the middle of it. So right after this, I'm rushing out of here. I'm going to go to my favorite coffee shop or, or a library and enjoy that wonderful invention called AC. One of the curious things about many technologies is that whereas a little bit of something proves to be a good thing, a lot of a particular thing proves to be detrimental. We see it in wind, where if the wind speed is high enough, wind farms will shut down to avoid damage to the turbines. We see it with solar as well. When it gets too hot, the efficiency of a photovoltaic panel actually decreases slightly. It still produces electrons in the sunlight, but not as much as if it was somewhat cooler. And that kind of leads into our first story here with respect to solar production in China. You want to take that away, Nicholas? Absolutely. So you know that China is close to installing another 50 gigawatt of solar energy this year. But China also has a huge um, air pollution problem. And of course, what happens when you have smog? What happens when most of your energy comes from coal? And, and of course, China is trying to wean itself away from coal is, well, you get a lot of pollution and that affects the efficiency of the solar panels. So it was very interesting. We have a, a, a great article on Clean Technica where uh, we were talking about the coal combustion uh, is basically the largest source of air pollution in China and it is actually affecting up to a third of the efficiency of solar of solar energy out there. That's huge, a third. I was doing um, solar panel um, installations a little while ago with something called Grid Alternatives. And it, it was very interesting because I learned a, a heck of a lot. First of all, you know, you really have to get good installations. The closer the panels are to the ground, the less air they have, the less efficient they have. But also another thing came to mind, especially after reading this, is that, you know, the air quality is going to be much better at a higher altitude. So if you're going to have a super efficient solar uh, array, you might be better off putting it in a mountain setting or something like that. And obviously, the further you go down to the coastline, the, the thicker the air is, the more, of course, pollutants you'll have because of cities and traffic congestions. So that will affect solar um, efficiency. This is something I rarely ever hear about, and I'm glad that Clean Technica brought up that problem. Yes, it is true that particulates of any sort will reduce the amount of sunlight hitting uh, solar panels. One trade-off we have to make all the time is how close is the energy is the solar panel to the consumer of energy, in case of a house, very convenient, it's right there. 
whereas putting something up in the mountains can at times mean a considerable amount of transmission line yes. capacity has to be brought on, which can affect the economics. Obviously, the best solution is to have clean cities, clean air, not too hot, not too cold, not too windy, just the right uh, golden mean, the warm but not hot but not cold bowl of porridge, as it were. So hopefully, as China's air pollution reduction measures take effect and become more effective, they will see solar panel production not so miraculously rise. Yeah, ideally, you're right, and that's actually、uh, brings me to another topic, a cl- closely related topic, is that a lot of ski resorts are putting solar panels, and it makes a heck of a lot of sense. Much better air quality up there, direct sunlight. That just makes a heck of a lot of sense. And you're right, transporting electricity from far away is not all that efficient. I suppose another thing that can be done, especially when the grid is clean, is to make our shift from combustion to electrified transportation, and that leads us to the nation of Finland. Who's deploying a、uh, V2G vehicle-to-grid capable charging system? Nicholas, you dug this one out. Want to speak to that? Yeah, this is also another、um, article that came up on Clean Technica, and again, it's coming from the Scandinavian countries. They've done a really great job. Those countries, they work really well with each other. They're very good at implementing clean solutions. And yes, of course, they're probably the size of a, of a you know normal state in the United States, but they actually achieve a heck of a lot. And one of the things that we've been hearing a, a long time now, for at least a good part of this past decade, is V2G or vehicle to grid. And ideally, what you would should be able to do is use your car as a mobile electric storage or mo- mobile energy storage unit. So they are doing a trial version, and this is a, a sort of a joint venture with a、uh, group called Verta out there, and Nissan, and also、um, a few others. And what they're doing is, it's, it's really smart the way they're doing. It's one thing to charge your car and to use it later to either power your house or something else or give back to the grid, but they're actually hooking this up to a charger that uses clean renewable energy or solar energy in this case, and of course with a storage facility. So this could be very interesting. In the sense that they could use well, once we deploy this on the fuller length, we can actually use cars to go here and there, and wherever they go and plug in, load balance the load on the、uh, on the grid. I'm just amazed because up until now we've heard a lot about it, but we haven't seen anything translated in real life. Short of simulations and labs, and that, but we really haven't seen that much as far as practicality and offering a system like that. Of course, it also means that car makers need to be on board and charging stations also. So I'm very excited, and again, kudos to Nissan for、uh, getting involved in that. I was at a conference in 2016, and Nissan had demonstrated their vehicle-to-home unit. It was a small unit which basically allowed the vehicle to have a vague vehicle-to-grid purposes, and they had already sold several thousand of them at that point. I would imagine that. The deployment of these will continue, maybe increase as the next generation Leaf arrives in January. And one possible thing to note is that the use of vehicles for vehicle-to-grid interfaces is probably going to be more likely with the NMC battery chemistry over the NCA, which is the one that Tesla uses, because the NMC has a longer cycle life, slightly less energy density, but much higher demonstrated cycle capability. So while Tesla might be a little bit more reluctant to have its vehicles possibly daily charging considerably and discharging considerably for the Sake of the battery, other automakers such as Nissan might be much more amenable to that. And kudos to them for partnering on this move forward. 
as a quick check, the grid in Finland and Sweden is fairly clean. Finland does use a combination of nuclear and hydro for about 50% of its power. It imports about 20% from Sweden, and Sweden largely derives its electricity from non-polluting sources with nuclear and hydro, totaling about 80% of their grid. Yeah, they're 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 all pretty uh, pretty clean compared to what we're doing, and actually uh, Denmark also has a lot of wind power. I, I think I read somewhere they were pretty much eighty percent clean renewable energy, which is uh, which is very good at this stage. You know, another thing I, I I learned a while back is that even a car like a Nissan could power your home for about four evenings. I mean, as long as you know, obviously you don't use your whole full multimedia center and blast AC to the maximum. But that's that's actually a great safety feature, and that's something I'd like to see happening quicker uh, than later. Of course, that also means that cities need to be on board, that utilities need to be on board, that utility commissions need to be on board and facilitate this because it is a security feature. If there's an earthquake here in the western part of the United States or fires elsewhere or hurricanes, it would be nice to just basically plug your car into the uh, uh, house and then just, you know, having electricity. Right. Uh, that said, it is uh, should be acknowledged that with the relatively modest sizes of batteries compared to what households tend to use in the course of a day, we might want to restrict the electricity consumption house to the bare essentials, maybe your fridge, a couple other things, powering radios or smartphones, other communication devices. Uh, but yes, this does give us more flexibility, and flexibility tends to help with the resilience and the ability to withstand shocks to a system. So it is, a, it is quite a positive thing. It is, it is. And, you know, speaking of uh, solar energy, one thing we don't hear as much about is wind energy. And another company that's all over the map right now, everybody talks about it all the time, is Amazon. What, what do you think about that? Yes, Clean Technica had run a story about Jeff Bezos. I think he broke a bottle of wine on it, a bottle of champagne on it. He launched a 250 megawatt wind farm, the Amazon wind farm in Texas. This is not an isolated incident. There are a lot of large companies who are outright buying renewables in the States. And it's not just a matter of social proof, wanting to make sure they're perceived as being environmentally responsible and, and being environmentally responsible. Clean Technica also has another story here about how about 90% of companies in the carbon disclosure project have emissions reductions targets. It's not just about social proof and demonstrating one's conscientiousness. There is also the element of tax credits that are currently available. These are being phased down, but a company operating a wind farm has the ability to get a tax credit of about 2.4 cents per kilowatt hour produced on the production side that's phasing down over the next few years, or to get a investment tax credit of 30% of their costs. The transaction costs for these kinds of arrangements are extraordinary. This is one of the reasons why it's mainly Fortune 100 companies doing it as opposed to Fortune 500 companies. But this is actually one of the reasons that your Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, why these big behemoths are able to get away with low tax rates, like it or not, part of the way they do that is to make use of a system we have put in place to encourage uh, renewable energy, and I'm all in favor of that, by giving these companies a credit in terms of taxes owing based on either how much money they spend or how much renewable energy they produce. So something to keep in mind for everyone that 
while we do certainly want to have an equitable tax system, some of the advantages, some of the levers that have been set up policy-wise, which are encouraging renewables, which uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably want, which are contributing to some of the inequalities that we tend to face as a society. You know, that's I'll, I'll a point in favor, but uh, that is kind of how the sausage gets made. So that's a really good point, and and you really do make a good point here because yeah, tax brackets are great, and tax write-offs are great, and they're very helpful. I mean, I run businesses, so obviously that's very helpful. But there's one thing that I do know here in the U.S. Eighty percent of the GDP is uh, small to mid-sized businesses. So. As much as it's interesting to know what the 100 and, and 500 fortune companies are doing, it would be also nice to have the same uh, same kind of records for these smaller businesses since, after all, they do drive the economy. But I'm happy to see that it is happening there because once these big companies do it, the rest uh, of the other companies actually follow through. There is an effort underway currently by project developers and project financiers to figure out if it would be possible to develop some of these humongous wind farms and then split up the tax benefits between a number of smaller, call them a fortune 101 to fortune 500 companies, none of whom might be able to take on a 100 megawatt project. But if you put together a large project and you can split it up between a few companies, then possibly you're able to allow even more organizations to participate. And again, it isn't ideal because um, the way the world is that the big tend to pay lower rates than the small, but at least if these things are used in the service of providing a cleaner environment, then perhaps it's less difficult to accept than if these are for other arbitrary reasons. Yeah, well, I mean, one thing is for sure, the, the, the more these companies do it, the better it is for everybody, the, the, the lower our, our pollution footstep is. And didn't Google, Google used to make a lot of PR about having green data centers and something like that. I just haven't heard anything about it for the past seven years or so. I don't know if they're continuing. Are you aware of this? Yes, actually, I think the standard now in industry, and again, this is something that was helped by these tax credits, is that if you're building a data center, it is kind of expected now that either you're building it somewhere which uses renewable energy, perhaps somewhere where there's a lot of cheap hydroelectricity, or you're buying an equivalent amount of power from some sort of renewable. So even if Google uh, might not be making as much noise, I believe uh, Facebook, Microsoft, Google, Apple, all these large organizations, it's the status quo, it's the social proof, it's a matter of us basically pushing our standards and our expectations of these companies up the escalator. And we might not have been able to do that without these production tax credits, we might not be able to push them in that direction, but the wonderful thing is that even after these tax credits go away in 2019, 2020, that expectation has already been built in. So uh, we will continue to have uh, large data centers being powered directly or indirectly through renewable energy or renewable energy purchases. And again, that, that is a benefit all around. My add to this uh, V2H, uh, V2G with our electric cars, and we have a pretty much perfect world. I'm, I'm glad we're going in that direction at least. Uh, yes, that is uh, far preferable to the direction it seemed we were heading just a few years ago. <laughs> I suppose with Donald Trump, one thing I'm thankful for, and there's not much I can be thankful for with him, but one thing that's that's I'm appreciative of is the fact that he came around in 2017 as opposed to, say, 2009 or 2001. At those earlier junctures, it would have been much more challenging. It would have been a, a much bigger hurdle for 
solar and wind and other clean energy technologies to bear if suddenly you had this person trying to upset the apple cart. Now the technologies have matured. There's enough self-driving momentum that even with uh, the current administration trying to revitalize coal, talk about Mission Impossible, uh, <laughs> that won't really affect things because everywhere else in the world we are moving forward, we are making progress, and like that old adage, uh, we will be leaving the world a little bit better than, uh, than what we founded. Yeah, that's right. Well, I, I don't want to be that bold. I was born in the 70s and <laughs> probably weren't quite as uh, polluted in the 70s. We had fewer people, but certainly we'll, we'll be moving in the right direction, which is kind of a nice thing after so many years uh, worrying about environmental concerns. No, but you're right. I think, I think our generation can be proud of something. I'm also Generation X, and we will leave this planet in a better shape than what, not how we found it, but how, how it eventually became. So that, that's something that we should be pretty proud of at some point. That's right. You can, I suppose, uh, maybe an analogy might be that we got a little bit overboard with our carbon footprint somewhere during middle age, and we are working to get that way. I, I only wish that happened in real life for me. But well, we are footprint-wise, collectively, at a place where we can start reducing our collective footprint, which is great. It's exciting. And that'll be about and, it for now, I suppose. <laughs> and, 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 and you know what the next step is then, because this is all fun and dandy, but now we have to get into the gist of it is the manufacturing process. Anything that we manufacture is very inefficient most of the time, considering the technology, the new technologies that we have. So we're going to have to start looking at cleaner processes, cleaner ways of producing cars, batteries, solar panels, and everything. Right. Uh, certainly a transition towards clean energy is going to take a while and there will be no shortage of work required for decades to practice a more restorative economic outlook as opposed to an exploitative economic framework. And uh, as long as we're around, uh, Nicholas and I will be here to help chronicle it with you guys. Thank you all for listening. Uh, we hope you had a safe commute and join us next week to get your electric fix. Have fun, everyone. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>